0: It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, November 17th, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. COVID cases are low across Alaska and have been flat for several weeks now. The respiratory illness season is just starting up in the Northern Hemisphere, and COVID is not the only bug out there causing problems. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports.
1: The message of the November Department of Health teleconference is this. COVID is down, but remain vigilant for other respiratory illnesses that typically come our way this year. Actually, while COVID cases are flat in the U.S. and Europe, they're on the rise in some places, most notably Japan and South Korea. The U.S., however, is getting slammed by influenza, the flu good old H2N3. We're seeing very high rates of increase of influenza-like activity uh, in the nation, and it's occurring much earlier than it has in recent years. Dr. Joe McLaughlin is head of the state section of epidemiology. He puts up a map of the U.S. that shows every state in the southern U.S., with the exception of Florida, awash with unseasonably high rates of flu, which we normally associate with cold northern winters. McLaughlin says the flu will come to Alaska eventually. In the north, that wave really hasn't hit uh, too hard yet. Uh, Northern states are showing minimal or very low uh, levels of influenza activity, but it's definitely heading our way. The best way to shut down influenza is to vaccinate with an updated version of the flu shot that was first licensed in the United States in 1945. Everyone over six months of age is eligible to receive the flu vaccine, and Alaska's Department of Health wants you to get it because it's got an even more worrisome problem on its hands, RSV, or Respiratory Syncytial Virus. RSV is fairly common and in most adults causes mild, cold-like symptoms that will resolve in a couple of weeks. But in young children, McLaughlin says... RSV is a different matter. So we're seeing a lot of RSV activity and RSV-associated hospitalizations among children ages less than 18 this year. McLaughlin says that children birth to six months are at the highest risk for RSV-associated hospitalization. Six to 12-month-olds are at the next highest risk. Also at risk are the elderly who may suffer from inflammation of the small airways in the lung, a condition called bronchiolitis, as well as pneumonia. There is no vaccine for RSV yet, but McLaughlin says there are two promising vaccines that could be available next year. In the meantime, the best prevention is just that, prevention. Wash your hands, stay home if you're sick, cover your coughs and sneezes, and regularly clean surfaces. RSV is transmitted through larger respiratory droplets that wind up on doorknobs, which people touch and then touch their eyes or their mouths. Department of Health physician Dr. Lisa Rabinowitz agrees that good hygiene is key during respiratory illness season, especially given the unusually rapid early rise of influenza and RSV. She also stresses that although COVID is down, everyone age five and up should get vaccinated. The politicization of vaccination during the pandemic has created a disturbing trend for healthcare professionals. As some people opt not only to pass on vaccines for common and sometimes dangerous respiratory illnesses, but also forego immunization for global killers like polio.
2: This is really important. We've seen a significant decrease in uh, routine childhood vaccinations across the U.S. and in Alaska. So now's the time to really um, check in with your trusted health professional. Figure out what immunizations your child is behind on. Get them caught up and up to date um, heading into the winter.
1: The more that people access safe and effective vaccines, Rabinowitz says, the more hospital capacity there is for Alaska's most seriously ill residents. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
0: Ketchikan Independent Representative Dan Ortez has expanded his lead over Republican challenger Jeremy Bynum in the race to represent much of the Southern Panhandle in the State House. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, Ortez now leads by five points.
3: The Alaska Division of Elections released an update to its ongoing count of outstanding ballots Tuesday evening. The update includes more than 1,000 newly counted absentee and questioned ballots in House District 1. About 60% of those went into Representative Dan Ortez's column, giving him a 336-vote lead. Ortez says he's glad to have the faith of voters in Ketchikan, Wrangell, Metla Saxman, Kauffman Cove, Hyder, and Myers-Chuck. So I'm feeling pretty good
4: um, about things. Happy to see that my lead grew to 336 votes. Um, excited about uh, the potential of uh, perhaps continuing as, as our state representative. You know, I, I, I feel like um, I'm in a pretty darn good position. Not ready to declare a victory yet, but in a pretty solid position.
3: If the results hold, Ortez says he plans to continue to work on his top priority, a sustainable fiscal plan.
4: Everybody can agree that we need a fiscal plan, but the particulars are what has caught, um, you know, the different groups up over, over these, these years. And, uh, but um, nevertheless, I'm, I'm committed to that. I'm committed to, to taking the tough votes, to doing the things that are necessary to put the state on a sustainable fiscal path.
3: Ortez says he flew to Anchorage the day after Election Day for some early discussions on how the House might organize. But as of Tuesday evening, whether another bipartisan coalition in the chamber might emerge is unclear. Ortez says he's hoping to return to the powerful House Finance Committee.
4: You know, all options are on the table, but, um, you know, my first priority would be to see if we could do a uh, bipartisan caucus again. And then as a part of that, hopefully I could emerge as the co-chair of finance within that organization.
3: Ortez congratulated Bynum on a well-run race.
4: Hats off again to my opponent. He ran a great campaign, particularly a strong campaign, I think, for a first-time candidate.
3: The count released Tuesday includes ballots received through Thursday, November 10th. Absentee ballots must be postmarked by Election Day, but can arrive up to 10 days later in most cases. Another update is scheduled for Friday. Bynum hasn't conceded per se. He says he plans to wait until all ballots are counted, but he says it's tough to imagine a scenario in which he pulls ahead.
1: I don't foresee that there's going
3: to be a chance for, for that to
1: happen, so we're comfortable with, uh, with what we see, and this is where it is.
3: He thanked his supporters and his wife, Carolyn Henry. Bynum says he's proud of his campaign's efforts.
1: Yeah, you that know, was part of uh, why we got into this to begin with, was to make sure that we could elevate the conversation talk about the needs of District 1, and everybody put uh, their best foot forward, and we worked. We all worked really hard, and uh, I think we kept it clean, and that was really, really important part of this
3: too. Bynum says he plans to spend some time with his family and continue advocating for the community as a member of Ketchikan's borough assembly. The election update released Tuesday evening did not include updated tallies for House District 2, which includes much of Prince of Wales Island in addition to Petersburg, Sitka, Huna, and Yakutat. Sitka Independent Rebecca Himschut has a 13-point lead over Huna Republican Kenny Carl Scaffoldstad in that race. And in Senate District A, the results are largely unchanged. Senator Burt Stedman, a Sitka Republican, has a commanding 36-point lead over conservative Republican challenger Michael Sheldon of Petersburg. The Division of Elections aims to certify the results November 29th. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone.
0: A salmon hatchery operator in Prince William Sound has agreed to pay a $1 million fine for hazardous waste violations. Prince William Sound Aquaculture Corporation pled guilty to illegally burning fuel and waste at its hatcheries, which led to a worker being seriously injured. Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports.
2: Alaska has 25 private nonprofit salmon hatcheries in the state, most of which are in southeast Alaska. Prince William Sound Aquaculture Corporation operates five of them in remote locations, three of which are state owned. The hatcheries collect salmon eggs from indigenous DNA lines fertilize and incubate them indoors, rear them outdoors in pens until they're big enough to be released into nearby waterways. What led the U.S. government charging the regional hatchery operator and the million-dollar fine was years of illegally disposing of hazardous waste. The 18-page plea agreement filed November 9th focuses mainly on the Cannery Creek Hatchery, located in a remote inlet approximately 40 miles east of Whittier. Cannery Creek Hatchery violated federal environmental laws on several occasions spanning nearly a decade, according to the plea agreement. In 2013, there was a 400-gallon diesel spill, which resulted in the state suing the corporation and a few hatchery employees. That resulted in a $55,000 fine from state environmental monitors. The operator was also required to hire a consulting firm to create an environmental compliance plan for all five of its hatcheries. The consulting firm noted that the Cannery Creek Hatchery had no formal waste management plan. It was storing new and used oil products in various locations without appropriate containment, and it was burning solid waste in an open pit. Five years later, in 2018, one of the hatchery's workers was seriously injured while tending to a burning drum with leftover jet fuel in it. He was medevaced out for care. Later, when the Federal Environmental Protection Agency investigated the site, the agency found that the hatchery was still burning drums of fuel. Other hatcheries were mentioned in the plea agreement, which states, The disposal of drums containing used oil was a long-standing issue at the hatcheries. The Prince William Sound Aquaculture Corporation eventually hired a contractor to remove several tons of hazardous waste from its hatcheries, according to the plea agreement. In addition to the million-dollar fine, the corporation has agreed to five years of probation, during which time they'll follow an environmental compliance plan. Jeffrey Robinson, an attorney who is representing the hatcheries, said he could not comment on the case until it concludes. A spokesperson for the U.S. Attorney's Office said the sentencing is expected in about three months, but declined further comment. The salmon produced in the Prince William Sound hatcheries make up about 45 percent of the harvest value in the region, or about $50 million a year. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning.
0: I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.
4: This is more-